That's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord this evening. Appreciate each one that uh, has come together to worship the Lord and to uh, to fellowship with one another and to uh, hear His Word preached. It's a wonderful thing. We've heard two wonderful messages already today, and uh, I I. Hope that I won't disappoint you. Uh, the, I know the scripture will not, but uh, let's open our Bibles again to the gospel according to Mark, chapter number 14. And we will begin our reading in verse number 12 and read down through verse number 31. Before we read, though, let's go again to our Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, how, how we need you tonight, how we need the illumination of your Holy Spirit to see wonderful things out of your word. There are treasures in this passage of Scripture that uh, will be dear to our hearts, that will encourage and bless us and make us stronger if you'll just cause our hearts to receive them. So open us up to your word and let it do its work in us that we might know Jesus more and that we might desire him more. And that we're, our souls might be both satisfied and made hungry for more of him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, beginning in verse number 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you, will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Well, uh, so it's very obvious, is it not, that uh, this uh, passage, we're dealing with verses 22 through 25 this evening, and this passage uh, gives us the uh, uh, account uh, from Mark's perspective of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And let me read these verses one more time. They're just such precious Verses and uh, uh, Matthew also has a very similar account. Uh, Luke's account differs just a little bit, and then John's account is in chapter thirteen, and and uh, and this is part of that uh, upper room teaching in John chapter twelve through uh, uh, through sixteen or seventeen. Uh, I don't know if he was still in the upper room when he prayed in chapter 17 or not, but Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was to come and uh, telling them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So uh, some of it gets a little bit uh, uh, lost in John's uh, account. But here in verse 22, Mark says, And as they were eating... They were eating the Passover meal. And we talked a little bit last week about the Passover meal and uh, how that it had uh, uh, several parts to it. There were, uh, the, the, was the meal itself, but then there was a lot of ceremony that took place. And it was a memorial feast for the Israelites because they were remembering their deliverance from Egypt. Uh, and uh, you can find the account of that back in the book of the Exodus. And so uh, uh, this was a, a yearly feast. And so as they were eating the Passover, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them 
and they all drank of it. Now listen to what he says. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so that uh, cup there uh, uh, possibly was, uh, it seems like it was, the last cup that would be drunk before, uh, and it was the cup of blessing, the cup of praise. They would have gone out then and sung uh, Psalm, uh, at least parts of Psalm 118. And uh, so this was a, uh, a very traditional time, but Jesus took this opportunity to institute what we know as the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Uh, some call it communion, some call it uh, by other names, but it is a memorial feast. And I use the word feast purposely because although we're uh, eating just a small portion of bread and drinking a tiny cup of wine, uh, it is still a feast because we're feasting on the Lord Jesus Christ in symbolic manner, in a spiritual, in a spiritual way. So it's a memorial feast commemorating the fact that he has instituted the new covenant. And this is what's going on here. Jesus is instituting the new covenant. And there's three things that uh, I will point out, and I'll only uh, be able to get to two of them this evening. But uh, first of all, he reveals the new covenant in these verses. And then secondly, he institutes a reminder of the new covenant. And so uh, the first point is, and, and well, let me go ahead and give you the third one. He renders the new covenant effective, but he does that by his death on the cross. And so Jesus reveals the new covenant. A covenant, uh, you might know, is... Uh, uh, defined as a relationship between two parties or partners to make binding promises to each other and work together to accomplish a common goal. That's just a, a very simple uh, definition of a covenant. But originally the word covenant uh, was a word that meant a cutting and uh, so it always uh, originally, in its original use, referred to shedding of blood. And, uh, and so originally in ancient times, when uh, you talked about a covenant, you were talking about uh, dividing a, a sacrifice, a sacrificial animal, and you would divide its body in half separate the two halves, halves, leaving a path through which the covenant partners would walk, and uh, the covenant partners would uh, uh, lock arms 
and prepare to walk between the bloody halves of the sacrificial animal, but they would, uh, uh, before they did, they would give the terms of the covenant, and then as they walked arm in arm between those bloody halves of the sacrificial animal, they would make an oath, and they would say something along these lines, God do so to me, and more also, if anything but death keeps me from fulfilling this covenant. Now you've heard that uh, phrase often in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, I'm sure you remember when Ruth was going to go back to uh, Bethlehem, Judah with Naomi. And uh, Naomi was trying to dissuade her. And she said... Uh, God do so to me, and more also, if aught but death separate between me and thee. And uh, so she was didn't go through all the steps of the covenant, but this is covenant language that she's using. I'm making an oath. I'm making a covenant with you. Of course, as time went on, some of the ceremony fell away, and, and uh, there's... Uh, uh, different societies had different ways of doing these blood covenants, but uh, we're talking about Old Testament times. And so uh, the pledge was made by both parties, and often after the pledge was made and the sacrifice was made, there would be a, a covenant meal uh, of the sacrificial animal, and sometimes they would even erect a pillar or plant a tree as a sign of the covenant. And, uh, and so if you think about those things, there's lots of uh, things in those customs that point to the Lord Jesus and this covenant that he's making with his people. Now, uh, I want us to think about and just understanding covenants. We'll think about four covenants that God made with men in uh, the Old Testament. Some people believe that, uh, that there were as many as eight covenants, and, uh, but there are only actually four that it specifically says that God made a covenant. And... Uh, uh, and it was a covenant with men. But uh, uh, the first one, of course, was in Genesis chapter number 8 and chapter number 9. Uh, when after the flood, when God had uh, destroyed the world, destroyed the earth through the waters of a flood, he made a covenant with Noah after Noah and his family came out of the ark. And uh, I'll just read a couple of verses out of these two chapters, but uh, chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. That's not it. That's not it. That's chapter 9, verse 2. All right. Chapter 8. <laughs> there we go. 
verses 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now there's a good, a good solid scripture that proves uh, total depravity, isn't it? This is what God says, neither will I ever strike uh, down every creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will not cease. And then in chapter 9, verses 8 and uh, following, he said, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that uh, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and and the earth. And so uh, the sign of this covenant was uh, not a pillar and it wasn't uh, a planting of a tree, but it was a rainbow in the clouds. And God has been faithful to that covenant, has he not? There are times when floods come in various locations, but there has never since that first flood been a complete devastating flood that overflowed the entire earth and went above the mountains. And so uh, uh, God has been faithful to that, whether Noah was faithful, whether his descendants were faithful. God made the covenant. God made the promise. And God has kept his promise. And so then there's the second one that uh, that we'll point to tonight, and that is God's covenant with Abram. Abram in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12 was called by God out of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans. And uh, then in chapter 13, God uh, spoke to him again. And in all this, God has been promising him that he would be the father of many nations and that all nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And in Genesis chapter 15, after God had made these promises, time is still passing. I don't know exactly how much time had passed from chapter 12 until chapter 15, but I do know that in chapter 16, it says he had been in uh, Canaan for 10 years at that time. And so at least 
10 years since he had gotten that promise and he's getting older and Sarah is getting older and there's still no sign of a child. And so in chapter 15, God, after, uh, after this battle of the kings in chapter 14 and, and after he's met uh, Melchizedek and all these wonderful things, then uh, in chapter 15, God speaks to Abraham and he says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward, and shall be, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then Abraham says, well, well what will you give me so I'll know? And so God in chapter 15, and you should uh, uh, read it sometime. I won't take the time to read the whole thing, but i got to tell you the story if you don't mind. But in chapter 15, Abraham uh, asked God what sign he was going to give him that, that he would have a child. And so God said, I want you to bring uh, uh, a, a heifer and a female goat and a ram of three years old. And then I want you to bring a turtle dove and a pigeon. And you want, I want you to split them right down the middle. Remember that? He split everything. He split, split all the animals except for the birds, split them right down the middle laid them on opposite sides of each other. Here's a bloody path of sacrificed animals. And uh, while he's waiting for uh, the ceremony, the vultures are coming down and trying to eat those dead animals. And Abraham gets out there and starts trying to shoo them away. And God says, if I let you keep doing that, you're going to... He didn't say, this is not what it says in Scripture. I'm just kind of, you know... If I let you keep doing that, you're going to defile this sacrifice and I won't be able to accept it. And so he just, I'm going to put you to sleep. And he puts Abraham to sleep. And the Bible said there's a deep horror of darkness that comes on him. He's absolutely helpless. And while he's asleep, he sees a smoking furnace and a... Uh, uh, a, a torch go between those animal halves and the Lord declared the terms of the covenant and Abraham had nothing to do with it. It was God's covenant with Abraham. And so that uh, uh Chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. Listen to what he says. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, 
<coughs> my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. God is making promises to Abraham. Now these are everlasting promises. To be, he said, I'm making a covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and, uh, your, and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. And he's going to give him a sign now of this covenant. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, your offspring after you. Every male, you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise, be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So God has made a covenant, an everlasting covenant with Abraham. It has, uh, uh, it had that sacrifice. It had that uh, covenant walk. It had the uh, terms of the covenant and it had uh, the shedding of blood and the sign of a covenant. So I want you to keep this in mind because Abraham, uh, Abraham's time on earth was short. His, uh, uh, well, relatively speaking, by, beside eternity it was short. He was 120-something years old when he died, but, uh, but uh, he died and his descendants died. And so what's God talking about? And Israel has never actually, I don't think the political nation of ethnic Israel has ever occupied all that land that they were promised. So what's this talking about? We keep the question in mind because we're going to find out a little bit later. And then there's another, uh, Another covenant that God makes, because as Abraham's people, now God told Abraham in chapter 15, he said, your people will be a, a strangers in the land of Egypt for 400 years, and, and they'll be slaves, and afterward I'm going to bring them out, and I'm going to judge Egypt, and I'll bring them out and bring them to myself, and he said, uh, 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 that's going to happen. And then, of course, while they were in Egypt for 430 years altogether, they uh, multiplied just as God had told him. And, uh, and so there was a great multitude that was in bondage in Egypt. And God sent Moses to deliver them. But... Uh, and as I said, by then, there's a huge multitude. 
And Moses, you know the whole story. I won't go through all that again, but Moses brings them out. They go through the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness and they come to Mount uh, Sinai and God enters into a covenant with them. And uh, God had to, uh, you know, it seems like if you look at all those covenants, if God hadn't been the one seeing after everything, it, nothing would have ever been accomplished by any of these covenants because men always fail. They're always covenant breakers, aren't they? And so uh, this new covenant, it's not the new covenant, but it's new at that time. Uh, in Exodus chapter 19 through 24, we see God meeting with his people at uh, Mount Sinai. And he gives the, uh, in the law, he gives the instructions for the tabernacle. He gives the instructions for the priesthood and the sacrifices and all the festival days. He does all that in chapters 19 through 24. And in chapter 19, <coughs> excuse me, I get to going so fast, I get my throat a little scratchy. In chapter 19 and verse number 3, he says, While Moses went up to God, thank you. <laughs> I got that and then left it back there. Okay. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. <clears throat> now, therefore, if you, have, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And listen to verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so this is, this is what God has uh, his, his plan. The big picture is what God has always intended that he would make a covenant with people who would join with him and spread his fame through all the earth and glorify him through all the earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. In chapter 28, you'll remember this is uh, what uh, Pastor Art had us to look at before he started in the uh, the uh, minor prophets. But in verses 28, or chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, he said, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. 
And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But in uh, uh, verse number 15, he says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And you just need to read the context to find out about all the things that God threatened. And they all came upon Israel. And uh, as uh, Pastor Art's been going through the uh, minor prophets, we have seen those those judgments coming and God threatening again and prophesying through his people, through his prophets, that uh, these judgments were coming on Israel. And why was that? Because they were covenant breakers. They broke the covenant that God made with them. And so God had made a... Uh, a promise. He said, if you do, if you obey my covenant, if you keep my covenant, I'm going to bless you. If you do not keep my covenant, then all these curses will come upon you. And then there's another, uh, uh, another covenant that God makes. It's not so much with the people of Israel. It's a covenant with a man. It's a covenant with a man by the name of David. And uh, we can uh, read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll read a little bit about uh, the covenant that God made with David. Verse 12. Now he's talking to David and what David had wanted to build a, a temple. And God was not going to let David build a temple, but he said, your descendant is going to build one. So he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, there's a double fulfillment right here. There's a double reference here. Part of this is fulfilled in Solomon. Is that right? Because Solomon's going to come after David, and God does establish his kingdom for, what, 40 years, right? God, is, God put, and Solomon was, uh, he, he was naughty. He got, uh, he got sideways with God, but God was faithful to him, but he said, I will establish his kingdom. But, but you see, there's another offspring of David. There's another descendant of David that's in view here as well. And of course, you know who that is, right? That's the Lord Jesus. He said, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Now, Solomon's going to build an earthly house, right? 
But Jesus is going to build a spiritual house. I will, let's see. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Solomon's kingdom was not forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Then when now here's, this one is specifically for Solomon. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom, and listen, verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. <coughs> so, God says to David that one of his descendants would sit on an eternal throne ruling an everlasting kingdom. And so, that brings us to this man who had been promised. He was the descendant of David. He was the one who uh, 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 Matthew identifies as the uh, descendant of David in Matthew uh, chapter 1. He begins to... Uh, go through the genealogy of Jesus. And he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So all this covenant uh, blessing is following Jesus. It's coming upon Jesus. And Jesus is the bringer, if I can use it that term, of the new covenant. The new covenant that was prophesied by Jeremiah in chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, Ezekiel chapter 36, 24 through 29, even Matthew in chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 11, he's talking about the kingdom and the new covenant when he says this in verse number 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. Now, this is exactly what uh, Pastor Art uh, read to us this morning out of Zechariah chapter 6, isn't it? Zechariah chapter 6 says uh, uh, in verse 12, say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on, the, on his throne. Jesus, the great high priest, and the king, the king priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Sorry for stealing your uh, 
stuff from this morning, but that's, and there shall be a priest on the throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both, and the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helim, uh, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. Those Gentiles from the east and from the west will come to, uh, uh, to sit in the temple or in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jesus is here in this Passover feast that we are just reading about in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is here not only to establish or to, uh, uh, to reveal the new covenant, but he is here to institute a reminder of the new covenant a memorial feast that will take place every time God's people come together and have the uh, uh, bread and the wine in remembrance of him. It is a memorial feast celebrating the institution of this new covenant. And he did it by sacrificing his body and his blood. His body. As I was studying and meditating on this, my my heart almost uh, burst because to think of his precious, flawless body, who was sinless and so loving, so compassionate, his hands that reached out to touch the sick and uh, to even touch the. Uh, lepers and raise the dead and and uh, it, it's amazing to think about him being willing to give that uh, perfect body but in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 4 through 10 we're told uh, that that's exactly what he did they had come to the place we had come to the point in time where God said, I do not want sacrifice and offerings. The bodies of these animals that are slaughtered and their carcasses burned, I will not have it any longer. There's no blood of bulls and goats that could ever take away sin. This is the end. I will not renew my covenant with them, that old covenant is done. It's ready to be folded up and put away. And it seems like Jesus said, I've got a body. You gave me a body. I'll offer my body. He says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, 
you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in the sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. The first what? That first covenant. <laughs> he does away with the first in order to establish the second. Jesus, his body, his incarnated body, the incarnate God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? His sinless body, his flawless, flawless body. It was a beaten body, an exposed body, open to the shame and ridicule of men, a tortured body, a spit-upon body, a wounded and scarred body, a dead body. But it was a raised body. After three days, he raised from the dead. This bread that he offers here in Mark chapter 14, he said, this is my body. Now, it's obvious that that bread is symbolically his body, not really his body in any sense of the imagination. Because he was actually in his body when he said it. And so it's obvious that when he broke that bread, he was not breaking off a hunk of his body and giving it to them. He was giving this bread. And this is in complete accord with, <coughs> with John chapter number 6. When he told those who followed him, I'm going, I'm not worrying about the clock. I've got to finish this because I don't have that much left. Uh, <clears throat> these, uh, the, these people who had, he'd fed the 5,000 and then he walks on the water and he goes to the other side and they, and then these people come looking him up and, and they want him to give them some more food. And he, and they said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Well, what's the true bread from heaven? For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Jesus. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Jews grumbled, verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? They went through that litany of, of uh, yeah, we know who he is. And Jesus says down in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, verse 53. 
I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. <clears throat> you see what's going on here? This is, this is a spiritual thing. This is a symbolic thing. Jesus is giving His life for us spiritually. He's giving His body to be brutally uh, uh, used and abused and beaten and torn on the cross and uh, and he pictures it as bread as a symbol of communion it does not the bread and the wine that we drink it does not save but it pictures how intensely and how totally we assimilate Christ when we read his word, when we bow before him, when we dwell in his presence, when we live in his beauty and glory, that we are, we are eating and drinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about his blood, his life, and the wine is the symbol of his blood. The blood is the life of the flesh is in the blood and he shed or poured out his blood. And it's the evidence, the reason that the blood was uh, gathered up in those sacrifices because the blood is the evidence that a life has been given. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat and God looked as far as the blood, but he didn't look any further. <coughs> that broken law in the mercy seat, inside the uh, Ark of the Covenant. God, it, his blood is the evidence of a life given. It's a, the blood that satisfies God on our behalf. And it's cleansing blood. What can wash away my sin? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Nothing mm -hmm. but the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Father, take these scattered, scattered thoughts. I, I pray, Lord, that you would somehow make them fit together in people's minds and hearts and memories so that we might rejoice in you as we meditate on these things during the week. In Jesus' name.